Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hi, this is Buzz Knight, the host of the Taking a Walk podcast series, and we are in New York City. We're going to be taking a walk on the uh, Upper East Side, the Carl Schurz Park. Frank Santapadre is going to be our special guest. Frank is an accomplished comedy writer, known for a lot of great work, ghostwriting, but other work with uh, many comedians, and he's also known for being the co-host of Gilbert Gottfried's amazing Colossal podcast, so we're going to be talking about the late, great Gilbert Gottfried as well with Frank on this episode of the Taking a Walk podcast series. Taking a Walk with Buzz Knight. All right, well, Frank, did you bring what I asked you to bring for this uh, episode of Taking a Walk? What was that? I said, bring your best personality with you. (laughs) And what did I say? You said something to the effect of... <laughs> Can I bring Larry Storch's personality <laughs> instead? <laughs> you could bring Larry, I suppose. Larry's almost 100. Is he really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Frank, thanks for joining me of on uh, the Take It A Walk podcast series. I'm really excited My pleasure, here. Buzz. Thanks for asking me. Um, you have a storied career. You want to give... Uh, our audience uh, is it a storied? little glimpse. It's storied, yes. You're too kind. No, I don't know if it's page six New York Post uh, story. I think so. Thank God. Street news. <laughs> Remember the street news? Yes. They used to sell on the subway? Yeah. Uh, well, I've been a comedy writer since the 80s. Um, I've written everything a comedy writer could write. I've written award shows, talk shows, uh, roasts, uh, speeches, political speeches, celebrity speeches. I wrote bubblegum cards for the Tops Company. I wrote Garbage Pail Kids. I wrote Wacky Packs. I wrote Bazooka Joe comics. I wrote puppet shows. I wrote game shows. Terrible sitcom. The works. And uh, now I'm, and I've written, I've ghostwritten for a million comedians. And uh, now I am a staff writer at The View, where I've been for 10 years at ABC. And we just also wrapped the, the Amazing Colossal podcast with the late, great Gilbert Gottfried after 660-something episodes. I've lost count. 
Well, but it's been a body of work. We have a lot to talk about. So let's start, first of all, with uh, the late Gilbert Gottfried. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously, you did a lot of work with him. um, And uh, how did you first meet him? Oh, that's a long story, but I'll shorten it. I became a fan. I was a kid. I was maybe 18 or 19, and I went to the comic strip just to, just with a bunch of friends to see comedy. And I was not aware of Gilbert. He was not a household name. He was not really in movies at that time or television. Uh, I, I just felt uh, for a second that I think maybe at that very notion you just mentioned was cursing us uh, from, from somewhere. somewhere. Don't yeah. you think? Yeah, probably. Yeah. I, I could hear it. Probably. It was... <laughs> It'd be a hard voice to miss. <laughs> right. Um, I just fell in love with his comedy. I was a kid. I was in film school. I was a little bit adrift, not sure what I wanted to do. And uh, his humor, his obscure references, his vo- everything about him spoke to me. And I became, I, I mentioned this at his memorial service, I became a Gilbert groupie. And I followed him around. Really? Uh, not, you know, through the streets when he was doing his laundry. <laughs> But from, from gig to gig, from club to club, Caroline's used to have a club at the seaport here, way downtown. And, and in those days, he had the energy for long sets. And he'd come and he'd do a, just a wonderful 90-minute set. And I couldn't get enough of him. I think our first official meeting was me kind of being a fanboy and approaching him at the bar. And just talking about Bela Lugosi and all the obscure stuff that he loved to talk about. And uh, then the joke is, over the years, I would meet him time and time again at functions I wrote for him on a show called Caroline's Comedy Hour I went to a, a I gave him a lift to a to a nostalgia convention in Burbank and it was like the, the gag on the Simpsons where Mr. Burns has met Homer hundreds of times and has no idea who he is <laughs> every time yeah. Smithers has to explain that's one of your globs from 7 Sector G Gilbert never knew who the hell I was I dined at his house. I'd been to I'd been to restaurants with him. As I said, I wrote for him. I'd been on shows with him. I'd been on talk shows with him. And I'd say, Gilbert, you remember me? And he'd say, Yeah, you're the guy in the blue shirt. And he was not good at learning names, knowing people, you know, uh, manners, social niceties. I came to work for a show called the Joy Behar Show on CNN, and then he became our kind of our Tony Randall. He became our emergency fill-in guest when somebody would fall out at the last minute. And he came so many times that, and his wife Dara would accompany him, that eventually Dara got to know me, got to know my name, and through his wife, uh, he finally acknowledged after 20 years of us interacting uh, who I was and what I did. And then I was asked by Dara and by his agency to work on uh, some new material with him, which was an impossibility, because Gilbert didn't do new material. He just wouldn't? No, he was still doing bits about uh, I'm Dickens, he's Fenster, and John John Astin references from 1966. Of course, that became, that would go on to become kind of the the meat of our show, of our our podcast. But he didn't want to do any new material. He didn't want to update his act. Long story short, we wound up spending long nights on the phone, many long nights on the phone, and laughing, and... It formed the basis, uh, our common love of obscure show business and forgotten character actors and old horror movies and formed the basis of the show. His wife finally said, why don't you guys do something with this? And podcasting was pretty much new. It was 2014. Not so new, but there weren't a lot of people doing them. 
But do you think Dara was just trying to get Gilford, Gilbert out of the house? Maybe. I think she was trying to give him new business. <laughs> you know, some reason for talk shows to have him on. Um, something that they, something that he could plug. Something that he could plug on the road. And we were novices. We had no idea what a podcast were, was. We didn't know how to turn the mics on. We, we recorded them at his kitchen table. And we just call people. I mentioned Larry Storch. We'd just call Larry Storch or Adam West or Dick Cavett or just pick up the phone and Robert Osborne, the late Robert but Osborne. But this is your... Uh Rolodex, not Gilbert's. It was both of us. Yeah. It was both of us. We just thought, wouldn't it be fun to talk to these people about their careers? And it didn't seem like when we did the research on the podcast uh, landscape that anybody was doing this show. Nobody was doing a nostalgia show. So we thought, we'll do the Joe Franklin show, but with actual celebrities. Hey, right. And uh, and we did this for a while with our friends, Dave Tom, uh, 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 Jay Thomas and Dave Thomas from SCTV, Bob Saget, uh, uh, Artie Lang, Paul Schaefer... Initially, it was people who were hanging around, people who were in their 70s and 80s that weren't doing that much, really, and our friends, our friends in comedy. And then it started to get good. We started to figure out what the hell we were doing, and we started attracting real legends like Carl Reiner and Norman Lear and Dick Van Dyke. And at that point, I realized it wasn't a lark. It was becoming a historical document. Well, because they all knew it was a labor of love. I, I think so. I hope so, because it sure was. Um, you know, those names, Robert Wagner, Bruce Dern, Peter Fonda, they, Joel Gray, people like that started, Peter Bogdanovich, started giving us uh, a bigger audience and, as I said, a little bit more cachet as a, as, a, as a historical document, which is what it was. It became an oral history, quite accidentally. You know, for well, us, it was just, let's do this, it's fun. Let's talk to these people. Let's tell them how much we love them and appreciate them. Did you ever get let down by somebody? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that inevitable? Well, I don't You've know. You've been interviewing people how many years? And you're yeah, in I've the been room? let down many times. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I won't name names I out of either, my respect no. for the... But, yeah, I think that... Uh, yeah, I think, I think some people were afraid of Gilbert initially, were afraid of his reputation as kind of being an abrasive comic or right. a risk-taking yeah. comic or an impolite comic. So I think people came on with their loins girded. And I think other people just weren't very good interviews. Um, but that's okay. Th- that may have been a failing on my part. But we did so many of them. We just decided to, you know, crush people with volume. <laughs> we did, as I said, well over 600 shows. And I think I'm happy to say more of them did, do not disappoint. Yeah, well, it is, it is a document of, of, of history for sure. And that's what's so beautiful uh, about it. But I think the passion is there there's no doubt that you guys you know loved who you were talking to we did we did it was driven by that i mean it really became a lesson for me because in show business i spent so many years chasing other people's projects you know for years i tried to get on late night talk shows and i went up on a daytime talk show but the lesson in it for me was throw your own party in your backyard and invite people throw your own cool party as opposed to ringing the doorbell and trying to get invited into other people's uh, parties. I, I spent a lot of time and a lot of energy um, trying to get into uh, uh, get on the cool show, get on the, the, the hip talk show or the, or the cool sitcom. And, you know, they're very cliquish and, and, and closed systems a lot of the time. When we started this as a lark and suddenly it felt, oh my gosh, I've got my own talk show. Right. I can pick up the phone and call 
uh, uh, any of these people, uh, Patton Oswalt and, and, and Matthew Broderick and, and Jim Gaffigan and, and, uh, and any of the, and uh, Richard Donner and Peter Bogdanovich and any of these people. And so it was a real lesson in, in doing your own thing, following your own uh, uh, passion. And it was always driven by passion. Any money that we made from the show was really just a pleasant surprise. Right. You know, when it started to become popular. And then we got on Sirius XM and the audience expanded. But it was really just done out of love. It was just a big valentine to the people we loved as kids. Well, I want to go back to the Joy Behar show, which you sure. mentioned. And uh, I was fortunate to be uh, friends with the, the late Jay Thomas. Oh, wasn't Jay great? Oh, my God. One of our early episodes. It's a seaplane. Yeah, that's, wow. That's throwing going to throw your audio out of whack right here. Well, let's let it go right there. Look at that. Should we explain to your audience that we're standing along the East River? Yeah, paint the picture first before we get back <laughs> to Jay. Did I mention Jay. this already? We're in Carl Schertz Park on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, which is a 14-acre park that most New Yorkers don't take advantage of and should. The home of Gracie Mansion. Which is right over the Which fence. we're about to walk up to. Yeah, yeah. we're the, the mayor's official residence. I'm not sure the, the new mayor actually lives in there. But somebody does. But somebody does. But back to Jay on the uh, the Joy Behar yeah, show. I love Jay, Jay. Jay and I happened to be hanging out on an afternoon, you know, some weekday afternoon, and having a bunch of laughs. And he said, "Oh, you got to come over uh, to the show." And uh, I said, "Well, of course." And uh, it was this really unique group of people that happened to be there. The one that stands out. Who I was just in awe that she was she was a guest on on that particular uh, show was uh, Sandra Bernhardt oh yeah <laughs> you know just like in in one of the greatest movies ever love the king, of, king comedy. of comedy yeah Gilbert Gilbert and I were uh, were uh, honored to introduce that movie down at the film forum oh you a couple were. of years ago yeah yeah big fan of it so how are you personally you know coping with uh, you know the loss of uh, of your friend Gilbert well it's a big loss you know, uh, in addition to missing him, I'm missing the show. I'm missing what we created together. I'm missing that that energy and that you know it was a, it was a party every week. Um, and I loved I loved being in the room. I loved the energy of it. I loved getting the opportunity to tell these people how thankful we were for their work. So I miss that, and I'm trying to think of what I'll do next. Um, but I do, I do miss him. I mean, I don't get to get on the phone and talk about Red Skelton's porn collection with anybody, <laughs> or Bud Abbott's porn collection, for that matter. For that matter, this is this is authentic New York right here. Oh, hit, yeah. hit cooing pigeons, barking dogs. I know. We'll go the other. Okay. The other way. This is live audio, folks. I know. That's what people people sometimes don't believe that we're actually walking and they say well I heard this noise or it sounded like you were huffing and puffing I said because we were walking actually walking yeah. we're actually walking we're not so, hiking we're walking yeah. we're, we're walking on pavement we yeah. should we should point out but it's a beautiful day here in uh, New York and it's the upper east side and yes uh, we're in the east 80s which is it's uh, very cool it's a beautiful park it's a dog run there's a walk here called Finley Promenade which where you can walk all the way down the 59th Street Bridge. And if you stand here, you can 
As you can see there's ferries. View of the bridge. It's great. Yeah, it really is. It's a wonderful view. So it's a wonderful you, part of the city. Do you ever seem to, you know, as people often do after someone passes, do you think, man, I wish I had this one more conversation with them that the I time. didn't have? And all the time. I mean, yeah. I, I, he was the kind of guy where no matter what terrible mood or terrible state of mind or even physical state he was in or I was in, uh, we could just pick up the phone and talk for hours about silliness. And he'd, he'd launch into some politically incorrect bit or imitation. And uh, he was special. You know, he was he was funny pretty much all the time. And I, I do. I miss his energy, and I miss the immediacy of that. And again, I miss what we created. I think it was a there was a there was a marriage, really, uh, that that developed over the course of uh, of six hundred odd shows in eight years. And you know the challenge of creating chemistry that you just don't create chemistry it yeah. doesn't just happen it's a magical thing right yeah, you were in radio a long time I guess you you know that uh, ours was accidental I think and I think the show worked because we were coming at it from two totally different places a lot of the time but somebody said a friend of ours uh, Drew Friedman said I figured out why the show works you're doing two different shows simultaneously <laughs> I love that. I was doing the cat, the old Cavett show. I was doing these in-depth, heavily researched, respectful interviews, and Gilbert was a lot of times doing the shock jock thing. Right. You know, he was blowing it up. But that was him. Yeah. Matthew Broderick would walk in the room, and Gilbert would say, "Can I tell you? Can I curse on this show?" Of course. Gilbert would say, "Can I tell you how much I fucking hate Ferris Bueller's Day Off?" <laughs> And only Gilbert could get away with that. I couldn't get away with that. And I was, you know, mostly, you know, trying to do a, a respectable, almost like an American Film Institute interview with these people. I was trying to do a career retrospective. The 92nd Street Y. A little bit. I was reverent. Yeah. You know, and he was irreverent. Yeah. You know, and we had a, the great producer, Erwin Winkler, on the show, who, who, uh, who produced wonderful movies like Raging Bull and Goodfellas and the Rocky series and the right stuff and all Gilbert would ask him about were his bombs <laughs> how could you make they shoot horses don't they <laughs> what were you thinking so the combination of that the dynamic of that you know a little like I don't know I'd say uh, Dick Cavett and Howard Stern trying to host a show together a yeah. little a little bit yeah um the dynamic of that, um, I think, is one of the things that gave it its energy. You know, those two things kind of clashing. Yeah, and you can't just... But in a beautiful way. ...create that that just... No, kind of, and it's, it's why a, I... It's a stroke of luck. It's why I won't... Why I'll resist the, the temptation to do some other version of it uh, without him. Because I, I... You know, it's a fool's errand as far as I'm concerned. I know it was magic. I know it was a, a certain chemistry we lucked into. Well, you had a number of favorite guests on the show. So many. Um, so I wouldn't even know where to start, but I'll start with one in particular, John Biner. Oh, a wonderful guy. And, and Yeah, I mean, but he's a perfect example of a guy who was a star and could do anything. 
and a great comic and a great comic actor and a great impressionist. And in a little way, he's been lost to time. Because you know the business as well as I do, that these people are forgotten. You know, they don't, uh, not many people work consistently into their 70s and 80s. Right. We don't have a love boat anymore or a, or a show that's a vehicle for those kind of veteran stars. And that was Gilbert's and, and my philosophy about the show. I bet these people are as good as they ever were. And if we give them an invitation and put a mic in front of them, I bet they'll catch fire. And John Biner was a perfect example. He hadn't lost a step. Just launching into Ed Sullivan and Dean Martin impressions and great Paul Williams impression. And so that was another thing that I was proud of, is that we got to showcase these people, you know, who weren't in their heyday anymore. But he, at the height of his career, was massive. Wonderful. And could do anything. It was on every television show and... He had that wonderful show, Bizarre, um, with Bob Einstein, who was another great guest, Super Dave. Oh, my God. Tell but, me about him. Uh, hilarious. Arguably the funniest man that ever lived. Uh, and he just came on. You know, and the guests would take a different approach. You know, sometimes the guests were reverent and just happy to be there. Other times they'd just attack us and <laughs> roast us. And Einstein decided he was going to rip us for 90 minutes. Just went at you. Oh, it's wonderful. If you haven't heard that one, that's a good place to start. And then there would be an episode that was a little more in my wheelhouse, like because I'm an old rock and roll fan, uh, Neil Sedaka, a Brill-building legend. And there's another guy that's not a household name anymore. You'd be... We're standing here on a a promenade. If I stopped the, the people in their 20s and 30s jogging past us, I'm not sure they would know who Neil Sedaka is. And he was wonderful. And people forget how much that music influenced people, including the Beatles. And and he was great. He came into the room. He hugged Gilbert like they were old friends. He was like a long-lost uncle to us. And that was something that was lost during the pandemic, was having to do the show over Zoom. We lost that intimacy. Right. We lost a lot of that immediacy and that intimacy. There was no replacement for it. He came in and he sat down and we put a keyboard in front of him and he played his hits and told us how he wrote Laughter in the Rain and it was a clinic. And those shows, the, the, the educational shows, I think are my favorites. Yeah, where you just see the, uh, like, behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy Webb too, the great Jimmy Webb. We put a, we Tell put, me about that. What an influence he yep. had on uh, the musical spectrum. Absolutely. Part. And again, we, we, we recorded them. We got a little at Nutmeg Studios in Midtown. We got a little keyboard. You know, we couldn't drag a piano into these studios, but we had little portable keyboards. And he and Gilbert sang MacArthur Park together, and it was magical. <laughs> In the, in the best way and the worst way. Yeah. Um, and those were the shows. For me, a guy who read the top 40 charts and obsessed about pop music and in another life I wanted to be a songwriter. We had the Holland Brothers on, the Motown writers. Oh, my God. 40 top 40 hits. Yes. I mean, icons. So to talk to those people was especially satisfying for me. Um, we did a lot of different shows. Some shows were historical. Um in nature some were just funny some were like roasts um there's a little bit of everything if you if you dig into that archive and it's a vast archive how much pre-planning did you guys together go through him almost none (laughs) (laughs) me an all-consuming amount right 
So you went back and looked at, uh, you know, the YouTube stuff or articles or whatever? I learned about 10 or 15 shows in that if you're going to do a show that long, 90 minutes, and you're going to try to get your arms around a career like Bruce Dern's or Robert Wagner's, people have been working since the 50s and the 60s steadily, or Jimmy Webb or the Holland Brothers, you really better know your shit. Yeah. And furthermore, I saw it as a gift to them as a thank you to them uh, we're walking in the direction I think that's a guy I know oh wow right there with the tank top uh, I felt like it was a gift to them like it was a proper thank you to them to know everything about them because they right. weren't getting paid for doing this show right and I felt like one of the things we could give them was that thorough a tribute so I would spend days and days Reading the books, watching the movies, uh, finding any other podcast interview I could find, go, really going in depth, um, so that no stone was unturned. You know, and Gilbert had this funny thing where he would lose his track sometimes and just stop talking, <laughs> like halfway through the show. I'd, I'd say, Gil. Are you there again? And he'd be frantically looking at some... His notes consisted of something he would scroll on the back of a, of a bus of a bus pass or, a, or a, a supermarket receipt. And so I'd also have to fill a lot. So I had a stack of cards called Filler. I had to start a stack of cards called Bring Gilbert Back In, <laughs> which is when the conversation started to bore him. I would do things like, Gilbert, uh, 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 Bruce loves that movie you love. You both love uh, Ghost of Frankenstein. And he'd say, oh, really? And then he'd be... <laughs> he'd be back. Back. On it again. So there was a lot of extra maintenance. but um, And, and the, the, the research was consuming. Really consuming. It took days. But I'm grateful. I, I'm glad I did it because I get made better shows. My sense, though, with you is you did the prep and immersed yourself in who the next guest was going to be. And you just wanted to know it inside out so then you didn't really have to script yourself but yet it was all coming to you where you wanted to head is that fair did you do interviews that long on the radio did you do 90 minute <laughs> interviews did you do those 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 little 15 minute radio interviews you can't do generally in the way radio is set right, up the long course. interviews which is very sad of course i did at one point i knew that if i knew everything about the person that i could direct the show i could choreograph the show through the cards as I went. I could actually move them through their career in some kind of chronological order. I could produce the show live, you know, in, in, in the moment. And of course, Gilbert would have throw a grenade into that. Yeah. You know, because I'd be going, I'd start with the 60s and, you know, they left film school and then you made your first film and then you, and then Gilbert would immediately ask them a question about 1997 and, 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 you know, throw everything completely off kilter yeah but again that was the fun of it and that was the fun of two different people doing two different shows yeah at the same time but I felt if I knew everything I wouldn't be surprised I didn't want to I didn't want to I didn't really want to learn much on the air yeah you know I wanted to I wanted to say and then this happened and then that happened and then you went in this direction and why did you go in this direction and sometimes they would say, I can't believe you know that much about me. Because I had researched things from 40 years ago that they'd forgotten that they ever said. I love it. You know, that was fun. That was always a blast to, to, to sort of work that parlor trick yeah. when I could. And that only came from really, really deep research. 
But again, I always saw it as a gift to them. I always saw it as, you know, the least we could do is know everything about them. Okay, so you bestowed on me a terrific gift. Uh, and maybe you could tell the audience what Well, this... I gave you a chicken uh, sticker. Yes. A sexy chicken sticker. This is a chicken. This is art done by the, a fabulous artist named Mark Macho. And this is... Uh, <laughs> You know the comedian Ronnie Shell? Yes. Ronnie Shell came on the show and told us that the great Western actor, the Golden Age movie actor Alan Ladd, had a sexual fetish for chickens. Which, of course, is the kind of cold hard fact, the kind of unassailable truth that you only find on the amazing Colossal podcast. Pure bullshit. But we, what we, we went and made merch about it. I love that. <laughs> so we made a sexy chicken sticker. Please don't sue, Ladd family. And this was, uh, and this is a magnet. This is a fridge magnet with the face of Cesar Romero and an orange wedge. And if you're listening to this show and you've ever listened to the Amazing Colossal podcast, you'll know what that means. But it was, again, and this one was floated by Gilbert himself. Another, uh, what would they call it? An urban myth? Yes. That Cesar Romero enjoyed young males tossing orange wedges at his naked buttocks <laughs> for uh, sexual pleasure. And so when we started to make the merch, my wife, my very clever wife, Genevieve, said, well, we have to do something with the orange wedges. So we made these. And we also made little enamel pins that are just orange wedge pins. And my buddy, Mike Weber, is a screenwriter. He wrote the movie 500 Days of Summer and The Disaster Artist. He was nominated for The Disaster Artist. He said, I'm going to wear the orange wedge pin on the red carpet at the Oscars. (laughs) And every official photograph of me on the red carpet will have the orange wedge pin on it. And I said, if somebody asks you, tell them you're supporting the migrant, the workers, the fruit pickers. Tell them. <laughs> so there you go. So that has entered into, if you go to, if you do a Google search for Cesar Romero orange or orange wedge, you'll get pages that come back to us. So I always said allegedly on the show to protect us, but it's a silly thing. Of course it isn't true, but we had a lot of fun with it. How much allegedly did you talk about the, the prowess that Milton Berle had. That came up quite a bit, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> this is, do you edit the show? Try not to. Okay, because this is my co-writer at ABC sitting on the park bench. Oh, my God. Yeah. You want to say hi to him? Well, it's up to you. Uh, well, unless he feels shanghai but like that he suddenly... It's my, up to you. My co-writer at The View, folks, is sitting here on the promenade on a bench with his back to us, and he's got he's got earphones in, and he's listening to music. I think if he has earphones, I leave him alone. Well, then I leave him alone yeah. and not even mention his name. But, you know... Um, Caesar, ever, uh, yeah, Milton Berle came up a lot. I think I would have to think so. <laughs> you know the comedy writer Alan Zweibel? He's an original yes. Saturday Night Live writer. Yes. He was on the show many times, and he's one of the few people who claims to have actually seen it. Oh, <laughs> And he described it as an anaconda. <laughs> so Gilbert became obsessed with that. Again, how could I do this podcast with anybody else? And I know. Who, who would bring that kind of minutia? An obsession with silliness and and you know showbiz, urban myths. I mean, it was so it became so much a part of our brand yeah. and, and our identity. Yeah. So that, that and, and allegedly, allegedly, but it's another it's another thing that makes him irreplaceable as a host. But isn't it the greatest when you just break into tears no, laughing that. with somebody like it happened many Gilbert, times. You and Gilbert did it happened. And like I am from, from you recounting this. Is that, I'm glad you're laughing. Is that the greatest gift? It is. I'm, I I feel too. I feel when he passed, I felt proud that I had some role 
in putting, you know, well over a thousand hours of content, of, of new Gilbert content out into the world, you know, to add to his legacy. Right. That felt good. I was glad uh, to be able to facilitate that in any way. And I laughed. Boy, you listen to that Bob Einstein episode or when we interviewed uh, Brad Garrett from Everybody Loves Raymond. Those are n- 90 minutes of laughter straight through. Authentic. There were times when we were recording in his kitchen where I would have to get off the mic and get on, and I got on the floor because I couldn't. It's nothing better. We had a we had a, a nostalgia writer named Steve Cox, an author, uh, on as a guest, and somehow it got into Danny Thomas's predilections. Jerry, it's supposedly Jerry. Like I won't go into detail. <laughs> but Gilbert, oh, please do. Gilbert launched. I can't, Gilbert launched into a, a Jerry Lewis, an impression of Jerry Lewis with a hooker, with a... It, yeah, it's on the episode. The Steve Cox Show. C-O-X. I, I, I lost control of the show, and I went up on the kitchen floor in a fetal position on the linoleum. Uh, it was, was this in Gilbert's kitchen? In Gilbert's house. When, in the first 20 shows, mostly, we did from Gilbert's house before we kind of became legit and... and uh, people, engineers came into our lives offering studio space. Well, I think it's his lovely wife, Dara, going, get out of here and go somewhere else and do this. It may have goons. been, although in the first 20 shows in the kitchen, she was the engineer. She was the one sitting at the, at the coffee table or the... Uh, or the. I can't believe I just said coffee table. That's a reference to something I said before, indirectly. She was the one that sat there and, and, and set up the mics. Jay Thomas, in fact, we recorded in Gilbert's kitchen. He borrowed a pair of Gilbert's socks. And when Jay passed away, Gilbert was pissed off that he didn't get his socks back. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> but I recommend that episode, too. Jay Thomas, that's a funny one. And there's so many good ones. I, I, I'm so proud of so many of them now. And to go back into the, you know, we did 600 shows. 200 of those are just me and Gilbert kind of riffing about stuff, and probably 400 and change are celebrity guests. But I can't, I, I can't, I, I, every time I say I'm going to pick a favorite, I pick 30. So, Who that you never had that you were close to getting? So many. Yeah. That's a, that's a whole other interview. I mean, classic comedians like Jack Carter and Norm Crosby. It kills me that we didn't get them. And then there were people that we chased forever. Like George Hamilton and Richard Dreyfuss and Alice Cooper and the great Norman Jewison, the director, is still around. He's 96, I think. The director of In the Heat of the Night and Moonstruck and a lot of other wonderful movies. So you can't get them all. You know, a, a lot of people got away. Um, but I'm, uh, I'm really grateful for who we had and what we made of it. Did you guys uh, make the transcripts available? There are no transcripts, but I suppose someone could do that. All the episodes are sitting in a Dropbox. And uh, I suppose at some point... I don't know, there's been talk of a book with some transcripts and photos. I don't know if that'll happen. Um, You know, the wound is still fresh, and the show just ended in April. And we're still putting up classic shows. We're still putting advertising on them, and and they're still doing fairly well. And uh, there's a classic show up every Monday, which we call the Encore Show. And there's a colossal classic every Thursday. So we're going through the archives and distributing them and reposting them and giving people a chance to rediscover them. 
So you know what I love too is reading the, the fresh comments from people mm-hmm. who obviously either never rode or just discovered the show. Right. That must really be uh, really very pleasing to you to see those. Very gratifying. Very gratifying. I mean, I, I was very emotional after Gil passed, uh, not only because of his passing, obviously, but because of, of the outpouring of, of love and affection and gratitude from people. Not only the guests, but uh, I'm still answering emails. He passed on April 12th. I'm still answering uh, uh, emails, Instagram messages, Facebook messages. They poured in. But people who said things like, the show got me through surgery, the show helped me through a divorce through depression uh one gentleman wrote and said his wife passed away and he took his son and they got in the car and they drove cross country just listening to show after show and uh you know that you can't put a price on that i mean it it, i get choked up thinking about it that some silly thing that we did as a lark mostly to amuse ourselves meant so much to people yeah that's so rewarding if you're if you're in this business and you're lucky enough to do something like that to, to work on a project the touch people yeah. that much um, yeah I'll be answering emails letters and cards that came from I'll be I'll be probably answering them you know through the entire summer there were there were thousands really you know wishing us well thanking us for what we did telling us what a, what an important document it was and then also the guests celebrities reaching out to me and saying that was the best interview I ever did and that was the most rewarding interview I ever did and that's that's priceless yeah, to me you can't you can't beat that I'm so grateful oh, well you know it's a it's a, a great testament to taking on a project with passion and love and, and it, authenticity. Is, it is it is and I would say that to young people in the business and it's just, it's a lesson I had to learn myself follow your passion and 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 start your own thing if you can and, and you know my wife said at the beginning of the podcast she left a sign in my office and it's that wonderful line from Field of Dreams. She left a little postcard at my office, and it said, build it, and they will come. We never th- knew if we were going to have an audience. We thought, well, guys like Buzz Knight will listen, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to it for us sitting here interviewing Ken Berry, yeah. you know, and, uh, and Danny Aiello and, and, uh, and people like that, you know, Tommy James, you know. Fans will listen, super fans, showbiz nerds will listen, our friends at the Friars Club will listen. But we thought at best it's going to be a cult thing. And that it resonated with so many people. I think people would write and say, I never heard of this guest. I didn't know who this person was. But the passion and the excitement with which you guys talked about yeah. him or her, I, I'm a fan now. That's or right. I came aboard. And so... I think that that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that, you know, do your own thing, do it with love, and people will show up. Yeah, jump off the curb, don't obsess about uh, perfection, just do it. Yeah, and don't always be, don't don't be trying to join somebody else's team. Don't be trying to, you know, hey, I wish I was a, a, a you know, that was, again, that was my mistake. I wish I could be a writer on this show, and, you know, I, the funny thing is if I had gotten on a late night show or one of those things, I wouldn't have had the time. I would have been slavish to the job and the hours, yeah. and I wouldn't be—I wouldn't have had the opportunity to sit and interview all these people myself. Um, so the road not taken. But but again, that is the advice. Do, you know, find the thing that you really, really love, and just and just chase it uh, uh, with all your heart. And I, I think you'll find that other people share that and will come along. 
for the ride. They did with us, and it was really a beautiful surprise. So, and here I am talking to you it's, as a result. It's great advice. <laughs> on a 200-degree day in Manhattan. Uh, and I'm really grateful that uh, we were able to find the time to, to take a walk. And thanks for, for sharing uh, My pleasure, the, Buzz. the stories. But thanks for the gift that you uh, left us with uh, the late and great Gilbert. Thanks. Thank you. Yes. Yes, he, he is irreplaceable and will not be forgotten anytime soon. And thanks for saying those kind things. And thanks for asking me. Thanks for taking a walk. Did we learn anything about Manhattan or Carl Schurz Park? Yeah, I learned that it's a a new hideaway and it's a great walking spot. I'm coming back. Visit any time. I'm going to go say hello to my co-writer. I'll bring my best personality when I come back. Those were authentic New York pigeons you heard, by the way, folks. That was not Foley. (laughs) That was not ADR. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, Buzz. Taking a Walk with Buzz Knight is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.